Good to see you all today. That greeting was better than the eight o'clock. People just kind of looked at each other and nodded. So well done. Good to be with you. Good to be with you guys that are online as well. We're gathered together as a church. If you're online, it's just an illusion. The camera adds 10 pounds and takes all my hair away. These people know. These people know what's up. I'm grateful to open the word together with you today. You know, post-election Sunday is a very coveted preaching slot that everybody, we fought for it, and I, and I won. But, uh, you know, this week, obviously this week, there's so much going on at a local level, in our city, uh, surrounding cities, and uh, certainly in our state and in our nation. Um, there's a, it goes without saying, a wide spectrum of, of feelings just related to outcomes. And so I want to say this as, as your pastor today, that we believe that the carpenter from Nazareth, who we'll encounter today in Luke chapter 17, is the actual king of the world. Can I get a witness? Amen. We believe that as, as he addresses his disciples today, that he's also addressing us. We believe that the claims he makes about himself have been authenticated in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We agree with the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, who says of Jesus that all things were created through him and for him, that he is before and even above all things, and in him all things hold together, including this community of faith in your life. Amen. Amen. So we encounter him today through the divine revelation that is the scriptures. We come humbly before God's word and we echo the cry of the, of the disciples last week. If you were with us last week, they, they cried out to Jesus, increase our faith. And we say the same thing as we come to the scriptures today. And so those who have ears to hear, listen. Luke 17, starting in verses 7 through verse 10. This is God's word. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Simple enough, right? Easy, easy, easy thoughts from Jesus on a Sunday morning. This passage of scripture, this parable is about Christian identity. Jesus answers the disciples' request that he would increase their faith by talking to them about their identity. I was thinking about that this week. I was, do you remember the days when like flying was normal? Like this is so long ago, hard to remember. But when getting on a plane was kind of a normal thing. And I'm thinking of the, I was thinking of those times when you're on a plane and somebody strikes up a conversation with you. You get to know somebody. 
I'm incredibly introverted. Don't let what's happening on the stage fool you. I'll, I'll like crawl into a hole for the next 24 hours when this is, when this is done. So I'm, I'm really bad at like starting the conversation uh, on an airplane, but I'm really good at keeping it going because I have a genuine care for people. I'm genuinely interested in their life. And, and I actually love it when somebody strikes up a conversation with me on a plane because you get to talk about who you are. And we're reminded that who we are is this, it's this multifaceted thing. If somebody were to ask you on a plane or on the max, you know, this would probably happen to you. You, you know, who, who are you? What, 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 what's your life been like? We would talk about where we're from. We would, I would say things like, well, I'm a, I'm a father, but I'm also a son and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband and I'm also a brother and I'm, I'm an employee, but I'm also a supervisor of calling our worship pastor. I remind him that all the time. And I, but it's multifaceted who we are when we talk about our identity, talk about what it means to be us. And, and I want to say today that that is also true in our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ is multifaceted. We are on the one hand, the scriptures tell us we are considered to be sheep who have gone astray. We're also described as a chosen and holy people. We're described as saints, and yet we agree with the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners. We are called children of God. We're also called brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, in John 15, looks at his disciples and he says, you're my friends. You're actually my friends. But here in Luke 17, what does Jesus say to his disciples? He gives them this identity to carry, unworthy servants. So that identity, unworthy servants, is what we're going to unpack and embrace today. And it's, it, perhaps it's an identity that we're not exactly drawn to. It's not maybe the identity that we, that we grab onto when we first talk about who we are as Christians, but I'm going to argue that we should. And so it's the word servant comes from a Greek word called doulos. Can you say that with me? Doulos. Okay, doulos is an incredibly important word in, in the New Testament, which we'll get to, but also just in, in first century Palestine where these events with Jesus are, are happening. And, and the word doulos has a range of meanings. It's important that you know that. It, it, on the ESV Bible, when we, when we hear, when we see the word servant, it comes from the word doulos. And what the ESV does when it translates it is it tries to identify the situation that that word is used in. Now, the doulos can mean a servant, it can mean a bond servant, and it can also mean a slave. So in Romans 6, in your ESV Bibles, if, if you read Romans 6, which you should because it's amazing, the, the translation is literally slaves because Paul is talking to a community of believers and he's saying you were literally slaves to sin before Jesus saved you. And so here in this story from Jesus, the word is bondservant because it, it has a range of meanings. Now, a bondservant was someone that was bound to serve a master for a specific and often lengthy period of time. But it could also be someone who might nevertheless own property, someone who could achieve social advancement, even somebody who could be released or purchase their own freedom. 
Somebody could willingly enter into the role of, of bondservant if they had a debt that they couldn't pay. And so this, it's a wide-ranging term that's used by Jesus here, but it was, it was something that the disciples listening to him would have resonated with. So the phrase servant comes to us in a parable. Now, what's important that we know is that a parable is an exaggerated situation. Okay, Jesus presents an exaggerated situation. And the reason this may have been an exaggerated situation for his disciples is they're listening to him is when Jesus starts the parable, he says, imagine if you had a servant and probably nobody in the group there would have had a servant. These are mostly poor, poor fishermen, people who have given up just about everything they have to, to follow Jesus on this road trip over three years or so. But Jesus draws them into this, this reality of, of a bondservant to teach them a spiritual principle. So parables have a fictional part to them, and they also have a spiritual reality to them. So the term used here would have resonated with them because these disciples lived under the reality of, of Roman occupation. They lived within the Roman Empire. And some have suggested that within the Roman Empire, about a third of the people would have been a doulos, a bondservant. So Jesus brings them into this cultural reality that they'd resonate with. And what does he say to them? What he says to them is, is this. It's actually very simple. He's saying that a servant's duties, the duties of a servant are such that it includes kind of within the agrarian society that they lived in, the culture. It would include things like tending sheep or farming, or plowing fields. Jesus is saying this would be normal tasks for a servant in this time, and the people listening would nod along. But he goes on to say that when a servant would come in from their, let's call it outdoor work, when they would come in from that and, and come back into the house, their work wouldn't be done yet. So they wouldn't kick you know, their boots off and and, and begin to eat, they would actually then begin to prepare a meal for their master, serve their master until their master had eaten. And then they would have the opportunity to sit down and to eat. And Jesus says, this is, this is pretty much normal activity in this kind of relationship. He, he, he says the, the master is not actually obligated to the servant at this point. The servant has only done sort of minimal duties and requirements. The servant hasn't done anything that has earned them a bonus or even a, a thank you. This is just simply what happens in this kind of relationship. And the disciples of Jesus at this point, we can imagine, are just nodding along saying, yeah, no, that's, that's how it goes. That's how it goes in, in our world. And then Jesus changes the narrative, as he often does. Can we put up verse 10 here to look at together? Verse 10 says this. Jesus was talking to the disciples at the beginning of the story as if they were the master. But then he says this. In verse 10, he says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So Jesus, and, and, and we can see it right there. Jesus flips the script. He changes the identity of his, of his 
listeners, from the master to the servant. And he says, this is the way I want you to think of yourself. And to be very clear, he's talking about his relationship to them. He's saying, in our relationship, I want you to fundamentally view yourself as a doulos, as a servant. Changes the way we read the the word there, doesn't it? Because as Jesus' disciples, we believe that he's talking to us. The, the nature of the master and the servant, now that, that's, the, that's the fictional part of the story. But the reality part is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's talking to them about their relationship to him. And that can be a little bit triggering, can it? Are we to think of ourselves as kind of just pawns in the, in the plans of, of God? Are we to think of, of God or, or Jesus, our Savior, as sort of this thankless, egomaniac, grouchy, tyrant master? No, that's not at all what we're supposed to think about here. Jesus is drawing us into a deeper reality, a spiritual principle. In fact, Jesus is actually talking about grace as he talks about the nature of his relationship to his disciples. He talks about grace. How do we know that? Well, when we dive into the phrase, which comes to us in verse 10, that phrase, unworthy servants, we know what the word servant meant. We know that it was a a bond servant, somebody that was bound to serve someone for some period of time. But we need to think deeply about that word unworthy. It's the Greek word akreos, which is translated sometimes in our Bibles as unworthy. Perhaps some of your Bibles use the word useless, which is not the best translation. And the reason is, is because we know that Jesus doesn't think people are useless because in a short amount of time, he's going to die for humanity. So useless can't quite capture the word here. What, what the word akreos means is it gets at the idea of unprofitable, unprofitable servants. That's what he's calling them. And what is he saying by that? He's telling them that the servant is always indebted to their master. He's saying, you are indebted to me. Your deeds that you do for God, they could never tip the scale, so to speak. You with me? They could never tip the scale to where God was in some way indebted to you or that God owes you. In fact, it's the opposite. Because we're unprofitable servants, we, when we begin to see that, we can actually live into the reality that God has shown us a great grace by bringing us into relationship to him. We could never move ourselves on the proverbial ledger from the red to the black, from spiritual poverty to riches. Only God can do that. What is Jesus saying to his disciples who call out for more faith? He tells them, don't ever forget that all is grace. 
in my kingdom. All is grace. That's his response to their cry for increased faith. And that's the end scene of the parable. I think there's some implications that, he, that we need to draw out from this story that, that help us in our own discipleship to Jesus. And the first thing I want to say related to that is that Jesus is giving us a warning. And we have to hear it that way. Jesus is giving us a warning. And the warning is this. The belief that God is indebted to you is toxic. It's death. It stunts spiritual maturity of a disciple of Jesus. When we believe that God somehow owes us, that, that we deserve more from him, Jesus is saying, you need to get rid of that belief immediately. And I think that we, we, we know intuitively, if you've walked with Jesus for some time, we know that that's true. When I say we, I'm talking about myself. The, the amount of times where I have responded to a situation or a season of my life thinking, God, I ser I've served you for so long. Don't I deserve better than that? Jesus would say that's toxic in your discipleship to me. It leads to death. Because what we do is we begin to, as C.S. Lewis puts it, we begin to put God in the dock. We put God on trial in our lives and we judge what he has done based on our own work. We say, God, I've done this, so, so it should equal this. God, I've served you in this way, so you should serve me in this way. And Jesus says, we got to remove that thinking from your mind and hearts as my followers. Now, just as a pastor, I've, I've seen Christians sideline themselves through sin and selfishness. And underneath those sins is this belief that God owes me. I've seen Christians deconstruct their faith, walk away from Christian community because they believed that God owed them something better, that God should have done things differently, that God shouldn't make the claims on their life that he actually does. And so we deconstruct our faith and, and walk away because underneath all of those things is this belief that God owes us more. And Jesus would say to his disciples and us, that type of thinking is death. Move away from that. Don't even entertain that idea that God owes you anything. And that's why he calls them to view themselves as unprofitable servants. Saying you do not bring gain to God. You do not tip the scales. You are indebted to him. We are indebted to him. Why? Because of grace that he's poured out. So there's a warning and yet there's also an encouragement in this passage. You need an encouragement? It's 2020. You need, you need an encouragement. I do. And it is this. I want you to hear me on this. If we carry the identity of servant, we will become truly free. I mean that. 
You see, in the, the term doulos in, in, in first century Palestine, it had a cultural meaning to it. But in the New Testament, it had a metaphorical and a spiritual meaning to it as well, which we need to look into. The metaphorical or spiritual meaning of doulos was, was a simple meaning. It, it's one who gives themselves up wholly, completely to another's will. That's a servant in the Bible. And the word servant, while, while it may be a triggering word for some of us, certainly was for these disciples of Jesus who live in a country that's occupied by an oppressive empire. Jesus says, I want you to view yourselves as my servants. But the irony in it, the irony in the New Testament is that that phrase, that identity of servant, of bondservant, even as a slave, becomes one of the most dignified identities to the leaders of the early Christian church. It becomes the primary way that they talked about themselves, disciples of Jesus and the apostles who led in the early church. They began to say, the most important thing that you can know about me is that I'm a bondservant, servant, even a slave of Christ. Can I just give you like a brief tour of the New Testament to prove my point here? Is that okay? I'm going to do it, so... Peter. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. We know much about him. This is the way Peter describes himself in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just put this on the screen. He describes himself as Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. The order there is very important. Jesus has said to Simon, Simon, I'm going to use you to build my church. The gates of hell won't stop it. But what is the first way that Simon describes himself? A servant, doulos. James, James is, is the, many believes James is the brother of Jesus. If you've followed, if you've read through the gospels at all, you, you quickly realize that Jesus's brothers were not exactly supportive of, of his ministry and life. The only one that really was, was mom, because mom's awesome. But, but the brothers of Jesus provide almost no support for him in his ministry. And yet James, the brother of Jesus, becomes a leader in the New Testament church. This is the way he, he starts his letter to a church community in James chapter one. It's very simple. Can we put it on the screen? Okay. He says this, he says, James, a servant, doulos, bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Jude starts this way. Jude also is believed to have been a brother of Jesus as well. So all the brothers sort of got on board at some point. Jude starts his very short letter with this. Jude, a servant, doulos of Jesus Christ. Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament, started a number of his letters this way. Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Romans is one of the most profound theological works ever written. Paul says, the first thing you need to know is that I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This phrase that Jesus called his disciples to embrace became a true identity that actually set them free, that actually 
moved them forward in maturity in their life in discipleship is when they embraced that role that they became free. These, these men that all these, these men that I just told you about, all of them died for their faith, but not as slaves, but as free servants, Jesus. When I, um, we launch, part of my role is to launch community groups. And so I'm always looking for leaders. I'm always looking for, for folks who will, who will lead and serve in our community in that way. And I'll never forget when I met my friend, Andrew Gary, who's, who's now one of our community group leaders. We were emailing back and forth. Uh, Andrew had served on our Sunday night um, service team and greeting people. And I just started to just, re- I just really like this guy. And we began to email back and forth. And I noticed that his email signature said this, Andrew Gary, bondservant of Christ. Every single email I got. It's not like Andrew Gary, like, you know, and then a list of accolades. Bondservant of Christ. We're invited to embrace that identity. Jesus even warns us if we don't, there's, there's great danger. But that's, that's a transformational identity for the follower of Jesus. We should always agree with the great hymn, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. That's the song of the disciple of Jesus. We live as unprofitable servants, knowing that we could never tip the scale. We could never put God in our debt. But God has poured out his grace freely into our lives. So how do we live into that? How do we embrace that? How do we, how do we practice that reality in our life? I'd like to give you just a couple of spiritual practices to engage in often. The first is this, practice gratitude. One of the best ways to combat that, that temptation to think that God owes us is to live our life in perpetual gratitude. When we talk to people, when we connect with our community group to say, I'm so grateful for what God has done for me in Christ. I'm so grateful for this small blessing that I received. That practice defeats this belief that God owes us. And we must defeat it. Next week, if you come back, the sermon is going to be all about gratitude. Gratitude increases our faith. The second is this. I want to call the second practice that I want to encourage you to engage in is hidden service. I'll say it again, hidden service. We live in a culture and a time where we live in this perpetual temptation towards like self-congratulatory service. We do good things, but we have this means of letting the whole world know that we did it. You know what I'm talking about? We have this perpetual need to, to be noticed for the things that we do, to be congratulated for the things that we do. And I think what's going on, I, w- I would suggest, in our culture, in our society, in our social media world, is that we do not believe that God approves of us. And so we seek the approval of others. 
that, that need to be noticed actually denies the reality of God's grace. And so God, I, I believe, would have us grow in our identity in Christ and in our discipleship to Jesus by letting that need to be noticed go, crucifying it and practicing hidden service. What, what could that look like? That could look like an act of generosity to someone and your name's not actually attached to it. It could be serving someone with, with, no, with no need or even means of being known for having done that. Hidden service. Gratitude. I think that Jesus is calling us into these things. And, and, and the best way to view our life as a servant is to look to Jesus. Just listen to these words from Paul, chapter two of Philippians. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, taking the form of a doulos, a bondservant. Being born in the likeness of men and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Master, Jesus, the Lord, became a servant. He's called us to view ourselves as servants in our life, but he's actually shown us how to do it. And in his great act of service in the cross, he's made a way for us to be in relationship with our heavenly father. What a gift we have. So may we never forget it. May we always embrace it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great kindness in our lives. Thank you that you have called us to be your servants. We know that as we embrace that call, that we're free. As we embrace our our life as servants of Christ, we, we begin to become free of the need to be noticed, of our constant seeking of approval from you and from others. We, we begin to let that go as we see ourselves as a servant, recognizing you've poured out grace on us, Lord. And we know that as we embrace that, Lord, that you will... Lead us, transform us, Lord, so that we can become faithful. That's what we desire, Lord. That's what we need, Lord. So we pray that you will do that transformative work in us, each one of us today, those gathered in homes, those gathered here in the sanctuary, 
Lord, would you transform us into the likeness of Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen.